Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. The lust for comfort, wrote Khalil Gibran, is that stealthy thing that enters the house a guest and then becomes a host and then a master. Jonah, called by the word of the Lord to serve Nineveh, grapples instead with the tyranny of comfort. From the beginning, he chose the destruction of Nineveh over his own discomfort. He finds purpose and meaning in convenience for himself, but to the extent that he is even aware of the needs of others, scoffs at their well-being. For Jonah, if life is not comfortable, life is not worth living. The lust for comfort, Gibran continues, murders the passion of the soul and then walks grinning in the funeral. Not only would Jonah sacrifice his own life for this false master, but the lives of an entire city, from the least to the greatest, including the animals. As the Apostle Paul wrote, Mi genito, may it never be. Richard and I discuss Jonah chapter 4, verses 6 to 11. You're listening to the Bible as literature. This is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 219 of the Bible as Literature podcast. I explain this, Richard, to my children every day. One of my children was squabbling with the others and started to go down the path of self-pity and complaining and even crying about being mistreated. And I asked her, are you bleeding? Are you wounded? She said, yes, I'm wounded in my mind. (laughs) And I said, in biblical terms, that means you don't have any problems. And of course, my daughter laughed because my kids know me and they understand the lesson. The problems that aren't real, and I don't mean real philosophically, I mean disease, poverty, war, these kinds of things that people struggle with every day that are real material problems. I mean, these things are the real cause of suffering in the world, not the self-imposed cause. And our ability to recognize this difference is the beginning of our journey to understand in a deeper way that one should never feel sorry for oneself, one should never look down on someone else for their suffering, and one should never complain about their own predicaments. We've talked about this in the past as the blessing and the curse. This mentality, which begins with asking yourself, do you really have a reason to cry? I know you're supposed to cry. That's like the big thing now, but it's all malarkey. Train your kids not to cry. They'll be more useful as adults. Once you go down this path of learning not to cry over misfortune, you begin to deprogram your own entitlement mentality. The good or bad of a situation 
does not depend on how you feel. There are good things that happen that make you feel sad. There are bad things that happen that make you rejoice. You have to respond correctly, but you have to be able to look outside of your own feelings. And this is the problem. And Jonah has this problem because Jonah really can't understand what's going on beyond his own nose. The fact that he had to go to Nineveh made him angry because God was wasting his time. When in fact, Jonah was wasting God's time, but even when God told him, he still didn't understand. Jonah just can't understand that there is good that's happening out there that might be inconvenient to him. And this is what happens in America. I tell my kids, plenty of Americans would die for a cause, but they would never give up their convenience for a cause, God forbid. For Americans, the world revolves around convenience. But this is not exclusive to Americans because we see for Jonah, everything revolves around his convenience as well. In a day before air conditioning, he was still upset when it got too hot. My wife and I went to visit my father's family in Egypt. And my aunt, who at the time was a biology teacher in Cairo, was showing us the pyramids. And she was with a friend and they were joking. When we bring Americans to the pyramids, they want to know where the elevators are and why the air conditioning isn't working. I think the point about Jonah is this, and bringing American culture into the discussion is actually useful. Jonah can't experience any discomfort for himself, but is interested and even eager to see the destruction of someone else. So in the balance is discomfort for Jonah and destruction for an entire city. And this is really not dissimilar to the way we function in American society when we sit on the couch watching cable news, talking about how we should blow someone up or talking about how we should put all those people in jail or talking about how we should send all those people back to their country. And at the same time, never giving a thought to what our statements mean for all of those people that we're condemning. If the AC isn't blowing strong enough, we have a fit, we call the repairman, and we complain if he doesn't come on time, and, 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 and. Everything is upside down. The Americans think that the pyramids were built for American tourists, not for dead pharaohs. <laughs> exactly. And in the case of Jonah, this is truly the perfect example of the entitlement mentality. It's the perfect example of someone who is not asking the deeper question about the needs of the other, and it's really disgusting. So as we read this, think about how you as a listener deal with misfortune in your life and how it compares with the misfortune of others. The way people react to the gospel teaching is very similar to the way the church reacted in 1 Corinthians. If it's all grace, why should I do anything? And my immediate response, which I take from the book of Jonah, is the same every time. When you're thirsty or when you're hungry, do you ask why you should drink water or why you should eat a steak? You never ask why. You drink and you stuff food down your mouth on an impulse. So why then, when the gospel is inviting you to take care of the needy neighbor, are you trying to figure out whether or not you should and what your reason is? If you go down the path of figuring out what your reason is, you're going to have a reductive theology that looks something like a video game version of capitalism, where you do a business deal with God and give something in exchange for a blessing. 
which is demonic. I think this example proves that pretty much everyone is a slave to their stomach as opposed to a slave to God. So anyone who wants to fool themselves into thinking they're serving God, when it comes right down to it, they're much quicker to serve their stomach than they are to serve God. When you have trained yourself, and this is not about mental discipline or some theory of how to act, this is not theoretical. This is simply about your motor functions. What do your lips say? How do they move? Where do your feet take you? What do you do with your hands? When you train yourself physically to ensure that the other has food and the other has water with the same sense of urgency that you put food into your own mouth when you finally get seated at the table at your restaurant. Once you can train yourself to do that the way an athlete trains to put the ball in the hoop, then we can get down to business and we can dispense with the silly question you keep asking about why and for what reason. So the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. Ah, the air conditioning is working. I'm in this portable oasis that the Lord has created for me. And I'm happy. I'm comfortable. What's on CNN? My pity shack is now much more comfortable. <laughs> so the Hebrew here where it says deliver him from his discomfort, the word is again, ra'ah, which can either mean evil or anger, to deliver him from his anger. So God did appease Jonah. I'll give him some shade, and then this evil, this anger, however you want to translate it, will pass once he feels comfortable again. This feels to me a little bit like Ecclesiastes. What I find interesting also about this verse, Richard, is that you and I, as addressees of the text, are made privy that the Lord has a purpose, which is to provide shade. But Jonah doesn't know. And that's exactly how life works. That's how scripture assigns meaning to life. Things happen. And as we learn from Ecclesiastes, these things are beyond our ability to understand. But the wise person is the one who submits and accepts both the blessing and the curse. Because in the end, you realize that the word curse is a word that we apply to something we don't understand. It's better to be scriptural and take it all as blessing. And this is my point to my children, and this is how you deconstruct the entitlement mentality. Because when you imagine that one's a blessing and one's a curse, then we start to compare ourselves to our neighbor. Then we start to self-justify. Entitlement and the victim mentality are the same sin. The Lord never tells Jonah why he was doing this. The Lord just said, hey, look, I'm going to put this plant over him, and he's going to be happy again. Watch. I bet he'll be happy. Sure enough, he was happy. Great happiness, it says. We as the reader know that the Lord came out with the outcome precisely as he wanted, but Jonah just knows he's not as hot as he used to be. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. The Lord gives... And the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And the words in Hebrew are exactly the same, verse 6 and verse 7. And verse 6 is the Lord God appointed, and verse 7, God appointed. So we see that God, exactly as you said, Father, one day he grows the tree for shade, the other day he grows the worm to kill the shade. That's how the Lord works. He goes both directions. The good and the bad, from our point of view, both come from the Lord. And this is how life works. If you haven't figured out that this is what we're saying about this text, 
everyone listening to this podcast has ups and downs. Things go their way, things don't go their way. The test in our hearing of the mashal of Jonah and the plant is whether or not we're capable of responding differently than Jonah. So when the Lord provides something that's comfortable, I won't even say a blessing. I'll just say something that's comfortable. Instead of saying, ah, I'm happy, do we view it as an opportunity to have a greater capacity to do the work the Lord has assigned to us? Or do we just say, ah, I'm comfortable, which is the mantra of middle America. Conversely, when the next day the Lord takes that away from us, do we complain because we believe deep down inside that we deserve comfort? Or do we take it as an opportunity to be prodded and poked and challenged to do the work which the Lord has assigned? The assignment for Jonah is the same whether he's comfortable or whether he's suffering. It's the same work. Carry the word to the nations. The key to overcoming the entitlement mentality is to realize that you are not the reference. You are not the center of the universe. And on this point, I agree with Carl Sagan and the SETI Institute. They nail it every time. Look at the cosmos and look at yourself and embrace your insignificance for heaven's sake. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die saying, death is better to me than life. Here we go again, Richard, complaining about this beautiful gift that the Lord appointed Jonah to preserve by carrying the word forward, and he wants to throw it away. And it's so interesting that every time the author uses the same word, when the Lord God created the plant, he prepared it. And then God prepared the worm. And then at the rising of the sun, God prepared an east wind. God is preparing this. God is preparing that. God is behind all of it. But what's interesting for Jonah is he doesn't care if God is behind it or not. Jonah only cares whether he likes it or not. God's role is irrelevant to him. This is why Jonah keeps getting into trouble, because God's role is irrelevant. And whether God has a bigger purpose or not, I mean, this is a big deal. It's like when the head of the company decides he's going to change things at the company, everyone thinks, well, why did he do this? Why didn't he do that? Or, you know, I like my Gmail. But Gmail, they added this thing, and now it beeps, and I hate it when it beeps. How's a way that I can turn off this beep? And Google says, the reason why we did that is because we had these thousand people. It says, why doesn't it beep when this happens? Half the people like the beep, half the people don't like the beep. But why did Google decide to do this? The inscrutable ways of the Google will never know. <laughs> so the point is there are things that are always happening and we just can't understand. I mean, the rule of corporate life is your boss is always doing more than you understand. And that's just your boss. When it's God, he has the entire heavens and the earth in the palm of his hand. He's got bigger fish to fry than you. And I'll give you all a piece of advice in general in life. When you feel yourself wishing to judge someone else, just remind yourself that you have no idea what they're doing and what they have going on. You have no idea what their responsibilities and their challenges are. I'm not saying that everybody works as hard as everyone else or everyone else has the same challenges. I'm not saying that. 
In fact, if you were to ask me, I would tell you mathematically, I can prove to you that you have it better than most people who live today. And I don't even know you, and I can prove it to you. What I'm saying is that Jonah, because he's not seeing himself in the context of life, God created life. He placed Jonah along with everyone else in this beautiful life that he created. And Jonah thinks that it's all about him. He doesn't see the bigger context. Again, to borrow from Carl Sagan, he doesn't understand that there are billions and billions and billions of stars, of which the sun is but one and completely irrelevant in the heavens. He actually says his death is better than his life. He says this in this verse. Because he's thinking of life the way we all do as individuals. It's about our life. He says my life. He's exactly. not thinking about life. That's what I'm trying to stress. That if you are for the cause of the gospel, it's never about your life. It's about life for the others. And not just the nations, but as we said in the previous episode, in Nineveh, also for the creatures, the animals that are a part of the domain the realm in which you live. You are responsible to care for them. It is stewardship. And when you're saying, because your one insignificant life experiences some inconvenience, that you would rather die, this is the bourgeois mentality. This is the entitlement mentality, and it's sickening. I mean, the problem of my life, I mean, what is my life? I'll tell you what my life is. My mom and my dad, they got together, and their DNA joined, and then they produced me. And then I and my wife came together and we produced children and our DNA combined and passed into them. My parents will die, I will die, but life in our DNA is going to continue on. There is no my life. My life is just the DNA I got from my parents and the DNA that I passed down to my children. The DNA is going to outlive me. Then God said to Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry even to death. This is exactly what God said to Jonah in chapter 4. Is it so good for you to be angry? Is your anger doing good for you? What's the use of your getting angry? When Jonah got angry about Nineveh, this is exactly what God said. Is the anger doing something for you? And now he's saying, is it good for you to be angry because of the plant? When God produces life in Nineveh and Jonah gets upset about it. Then he produces life in the plant and then kills it and Jonah's inconvenienced. Next time you get upset, imagine the Lord with these three words, three Hebrew words. Is it good for you to get angry? You're sitting in your chair feeling terrified of someone who's never done anything to hurt you, ever, most likely. You've never experienced any suffering from this person. At the same time, your society has caused tremendous suffering for this person and millions of his or her fellow citizens in the land in which they reside. Their country is destroyed. And so you reason with yourself about what's wrong with them. You reason with yourself that it must be their fault. You reason with yourself that it makes no sense that they want to leave their country. Why don't they stay and fix it? You reason with yourself that the risks are too high to offer them shelter and refuge and to welcome them. You go through this entire lie inside your head. That's why I don't care what's in people's heads. Normally, if it's in your head, it's a problem. I look at the feet and the hands. How do you behave? 
What do you say? What do you do? So you go through all of this, and then we decide not to let people who are suffering come to our home to share the bread the Lord provided for us. And we feel like we made a good decision, and then we talk about how we care about safety and good order and the law and whatever else we concoct. And then the air conditioner breaks, and we have a nervous breakdown. So we're upset about the air conditioner. We're upset about the bus being late. We're upset that we only got a 3% raise at work. We're upset because someone at a restaurant didn't you know, bring our food out on time or the soup was cold. And we get really angry about this. People yell at each other all the time in this country over nonsense. But we congratulate ourselves that we're following the law and defending the Constitution when we consign millions of people to their misery. This is the absurdity of the human ego. This is the absurdity of individualism. It's the absurdity of consumerism. It's not a political question. It's not. It's a moral question. Because you have to give an account to God for your life. And how is this way of thinking and acting defendable? How can you stand before the terrible and dread judgment seat of Jesus Christ and explain why you were so angry about something irrelevant and at the same time rejoiced in the decision not to help the needy neighbor because you had good logical reasons not to. Jonah chooses not to hear God judging his anger. Anger can be translated either as anger or as heat. But Jonah chooses to judge the heat that was appointed to him by the Lord, saying, it's going to kill him. So he says, is it so good for you to be angry? And Jonah says, what are you trying to do, kill me? Now, the funny thing is, if the Lord were trying to kill him, he would have been dead a long time ago at the bottom of the sea. We know that the Lord gets what he wants in this book, if nothing else. Then the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. And this is the meaning of the Pauline Charis. This is the point. You can't make one hair on your head white or black. You have no control over anything. Why would you take credit? And conversely, why would you complain? Whether it is a blessing or a curse. The rain falls on the just and on the unjust in Matthew. So whether it's nice weather or raining, praise the Lord. Because the fact that you are better off simply means that more is expected of you. And if you have the correct mentality, you don't imagine that the others are worse off because they're less than you. I'm afraid that deep down inside, Jonah thinks he deserves more and has earned more and is better than the Ninevites, which is anti-scriptural, which the writer of this text is expressing in his apostasy. And that's the right word, Richard. Because at the end of the day, when you see yourself as an individual and look at everything from your perspective and care first about your needs, whether as a single person or as a tribe, you will persecute others and you will congratulate yourself for it every time. God appointed a plant in order to bring Jonah joy. Jonah appreciated this. Well, maybe not appreciated. Jonah liked this. 
And then once it died, Jonah thought the world was going to come to an end. At least his world, it was coming to an end at that point. And God is trying to teach Jonah ultimately, as we come to the close of the book, how to see past the end of his nose. And this is the teaching for us as we hear it. How do we see what happens to us as part of a bigger whole which we can't understand? And that which gives life, gives life. If God gives us life, we want to say good. If God gives life to our enemies, we want to say bad. No, God gave life because God gave life. And maybe it's bad that he gave you life and good that he gave the enemy life. We can't know. Well, knowing the judgment, which is the point of Ecclesiastes and the point of 1 Corinthians chapter 4. So until the judgment, we have no right to give our own opinion about whether something is good or bad. With all due respect, Jonah, should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as many animals? God is bringing the contradiction of Jonah's approach by saying, look, this plant, I gave it life so that you could have a day without heat on your head, so you could survive another day. And here's a city, an entire city, that I decided to give life to one more day. You had compassion for the plant that gave you life, but you don't consider that I was the one who gave the plant life. You are angry at the city and me, because it was inconvenient to you and it did not give you life, but I gave it life. I gave the plant life and you liked it. I gave Nineveh life and you didn't like it. But guess what? I give life, I am the Lord, and whether it's a cow or whether it's you, Jonah, my friend, I am the one who gave life, I gave you life, and if it weren't for me giving you life, you would have been dead a long time ago. Let's look back at your prayer that you prayed about how you depend on me for life. How much more so Nineveh or this plant? Life is the domain of the Lord. You cannot transgress life. Jonah is transgressing life from the beginning of the book to the end in his defiance of the Lord's commandment to bring life to Nineveh which is expressed in his desire for death and his desire for their destruction when things don't go his way. That's the common theme. He doesn't want to be inconvenienced, whether it's from the heat of the sun or what he perceives as the senselessness of the mission. Why should I go to tell them they're going to be destroyed if you're going to save them anyways, and so on and so forth. So it's a very serious matter, and this is the point that I'm trying to make when I keep alluding to the refugee problem, Richard. And I want all of our listeners in Western Europe and the United States, we have listeners all over the world, I want you just to consider the irony of this last point. That Jonah, who chooses his own comfort ahead of the well-being of the needy neighbor in a far-off land, was sent to Nineveh, which on the modern map is in the state of Iraq. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. The Bible as Literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.